when you talk about F the police, those things that they, those guys were, were expressing in those songs are still happening to this day. So it was more prophetic watching those guys get down, whether you like it or agree with it or not. Those guys are a staple and not just hip hop, but the music culture. Hip Hop Hustle Podcast, man. You heard it here first. He's not playing. No, Aaron's not playing. No fucking game. Oh, don't threaten me with the guitar. You got your ear to the streets, man. Much love to all the people down under. And make sure y'all follow the Hip Hop Hustle Podcast, man, because they're giving y'all nothing but the real shit. But yeah, man, appreciate the intro, bro. Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's kick it off. Shout out to the whole Hip Hop Hustle Podcast. What's up with it? There we go. Welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle Podcast. I'm super excited by my next guest, the one and only Cocaine, who's been rapping since the 1980s, uh, which is unreal. I mean, like when I look at your career and the people you've worked with, Ice Cube, Easy E, Snoop Dogg, P Diddy, The Game, Buster Rhymes, literally the list goes on and on and on. It's like literally a, a legends list of all the people that you've worked with. When I see the longevity you've had, the people that you've worked with, I'm like, it must be surreal to look back on the evolution of like the music that number one, you grew up listening to versus where we're even at now. Right. Well, it's been an incredible journey, man. And um, yeah, uh, you know, sometimes I have to pinch myself and say it's surreal myself. Um, I've been doing music for like 35 years, seriously. But, you know, I couldn't help but do music because music was embedded in my 23 chromosomes, my DNA, you know, coming from a music royalty family, you know, such as my father, Motown, Jerry Buddy Long Sr. So, you know, what I'm doing now, you know, the apple fell off the tree. And, um, you know, I'm here, you know, to be able to work with some of the most incredible artists, especially for those that are not here, like Easy e and KMG, my brother, uh, Mac Dre, Jay Dilla, Nipsey Hussle, you know, besides just, the, you know, the whole catalog. You said that right, man. It's surreal. I mean, I'm interested to know, because like, you know, for me, it's like, if I could interview all those people, it would be surreal. Like people have asked me, like, who have you interviewed? And like, I list names. Like, I interviewed Master Ace, who's obviously a legend as well. And it's like, there are these people that I listen to and I'm starting to interact with. And it's like, kind of doesn't feel like you're in a position to even be in a room with them or even have a conversation with them. Like, did you ever feel like that? That, you know, it's, it's almost like, I don't know why or how I ended up here, but I'm super privileged that I am. Well, that's, that's how the universe works, man. The universe is amazing. You know, uh, purpose, uh, destiny, um, all that plays in, you know, to your journey. And growing up as a kid, you know, walking into the studio, um, even at five years old, you know, walking into my dad's session and looking at the running board, I mean, the running board looked like a spaceship, you know what I mean? So I was always intrigued with the music, um, the tech side of music, the sonic sound of music. 
and being able to be influenced by so many greats, man. You got to realize we grew up in the 70s to where you had all kinds of genres of music from blues to R&B to the beginning stages of hip hop, funk, soul, and even groups like Led Zeppelin and heavy metal, you know what I mean? That was infused with blues and rock, you know? So, I mean, we had it good, man. We're exposed to it. And I think anybody, you know, coming up, especially, you know, um, that you love music, all you have to do is be exposed. And we're fortunate to be exposed to so much great and being able in the 70s to watch Parliament and Funkadelic and, you know, besides where I come from, from my father and my uncle is Willie Hutch, too, from Motown. You know, it was just amazing. And I was like, at awe. And being able to see the mothership come down. and Those cats was like real aliens to me. You know, it just had a, it had a, a deep impact on who I am as an artist. And to go from that to be able to actually get seasoned by George Clinton, Bootsy Collins, Bernie Rarell, Catfish, Rest in Peace. It's just amazing, man, because I never thought, I knew I wanted to do music, so because of my dad was, but when you're so young, you really don't understand the dynamic so much. But to be able to come from that and then watch Parliament and George and to be able to actually work with the greats and have George come in and say, man, when did I do those vocals? But it was me actually recording the vocals. Man, it let me know that, hey, hey, this journey is, is, is awesome. It's amazing what the universe do. And um, that was a part of my purpose, man. And that's why I tell kids and, um, and just artists in general, dream big. It's amazing when you dream big because those things can actually come to fruition and manifest because of the universe. And that's what I did as a kid. I dreamed big, man. Now when you get like grown, you know, you don't dream as much as when you was a little kid, you know. So I, I was a big dreamer, always used to write, but always used to listen to at the same time. And it's just amazing, man, to, to be in the midst of so much great Hall of Famers and and uh, like you said, man, we go back to that word again. It's surreal, man, to be able to uh, to see all that as a kid and then actually work with these cats. And when I was starting off doing the hook game, you know, what I'm doing now as far as the crooning, you know, emulating all these voices from Curtis Mayfield, George Clinton, Bootsy Collins, to Smokey Robinson, I was inspired so much, but I took it. I took it in my way, mixed it up, and I was fortunate, again, to be able to, you know, get picked up by Easy e through my cousin, Cole 187, from the, one of the most prolific groups ever in hip-hop, and that was Above the Law, Cole 187. And they let me do my thing over there, Rufus Records. And it was cool because at the time, the FCC laws would not permit them to say cocaine on the radio. But see, Easy e and the whole Camp Love controversy, I mean, man, duh, niggas with attitudes. They, who would dare call themselves niggas with attitudes? So 
Easy was in love with the fact that, okay, if they don't want to play you, he understood what controversy is, controversy sells. So he was like, you know, between Easy e and Cole 187 and Dre, it was like, fuck the radio, man. We're going to start putting all these voices, plus you rap, on our stuff. So even though that door was shut as cocaine, and we didn't say cocaine spelled the C-O-C-A-I-N-E, we spelled it to say K-O-K-N-E. That mean warning. When you listen to this artist, you're going to get addicted. But they weren't having it. But I had a good support group over there, Rupless Records, of course, through Above the Law, and they start putting me on records. So I was privileged, man, to have my first platinum record in 1991, co-writing Easy es Appetite of Destruction, because I wrote his part on 10 Gangster Commandments. It's just as well as guest appearing on Niggas for Life album, you know, doing, introducing a character, which now everybody can identify on The Last Meal, on Snoops or Dre's. But that was a character called Sweet Talk. But I write you all across the USC. So it was good because even though doors are shut in my face, I, I, I was destined to do what I'm doing now because music was already in my nature to do that. And those gentlemen gave me an opportunity of a lifetime. But the law started putting me on stuff. I got received the platinum record. Um, and it didn't matter radio did not play it because everybody is stuck in their tradition. But because this art form was so different as far as the funk we created, um, it transcended all the typical politics, so to speak. And years later, you know, because of that doors being shut in my face by, by them not playing cocaine on the radio, I became the most featured collaborative artist in the history of the business. So it was good. And it's surreal. You said so much. I have so many questions. Um, because like, you know, it's weird to me when you say, cause I also read that they weren't, you weren't able to say cocaine on the radio. And it's like, it's so interesting that, you know, now we're in a place where, you know, that's, that's only like 30 years ago where you can't say cocaine on the radio. And now that's the most tame shit that you can say. Now it's anything goes. There are no rules in terms of what you can say. So it's, it, it must it must be funny looking back going, I can't believe that's what they decided to go up in arms about. Do you have any insight on like, do you think that it was more than that or it was just like these arbitrary rules that they had? Oh, it's traditional rules. You know, it's the same rules that apply when the rock and roll groups, when they were blaming you know, certain deaths of suicide on rock and roll artists. So they had to put the sticker parental advisory. And we had to, because actually above the law was one of the first groups that had to put a sticker on this stuff. It was like we had, we was ahead of the game and we were breaking tradition wide open because everybody was stuck in there, you know, all of this and that. And it was a bunch of bullshit. They they used to didn't like to have me on the radio because I would break it down for them. I said, I'm cocaine, the rapper, not cocaine that actually used to be in the Coke products that they never did change the name on. So they didn't want to hear all that. They didn't want to hear the truth. They wanted to stay stuck in their tradition. But then that was good for me at the same time. So I'm glad that, you know, they didn't permit it 
me to get on the radio, but I was with the world's most dangerous group. And that shit done be right. So fuck what anybody was saying. I was like, Chuck D, who gives a fuck about a goddamn radio? Or radio never plays me. And that really spilled over to the underground and mobilized the streets around cocaine. And that created a safe haven for people to come adopt the sound and also to be able to, to you know, have work and features. And it just stacked up over the years and over the years. And we stopped. Um, one day my wife hit me up and said, stop, hold on. You know how many features are? I said, like, nah. Because all we do, we come from a family of just work, 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 work. That's all we do. Work, work, work. And she said, you know, these substantial amount of numbers and features and it was just incredible. And it was it was a chance for me to really inspire my family because now my kids is the third generation of music royalty and inspire independent artists and artists in general. Because as as tapping into the culture, you want to be able to transcend to be able to inspire the next generation, kind of like how Mike, Michael Jordan did with the Kobe Bryant's. And it was just something that was like, you know, like, wow, you know. And um, I, I still trip off it to the day, to this day, because every month, man, it's just, it's just crazy, man. People want the sound uh, of what I was able to put out there still to this day. When I look at your journey, it's like, because you were born in New York and then you moved to L.A. And so do you have like a, a bit of both? And obviously you've got like the the West Coast feeling. You adopt, adapted your sound. Obviously, you know, you've got a lot of, you know, history in West Coast. But how do you feel about, you know, New York and 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 that type? Did you, when they were going through the the, the period where there was like, you know, the, the beef, so to speak, did you have kind of like mixed feelings or were you like, you know what, it is what it is? Well, it was kind of mixed up and it is what it is because I did never um, adopt, you know, the swag so much in the lifestyle of being in New York and being born from South Bronx because we moved so at an early age. So all I know is West Coast. But later through the years, you know, when, like you said, when that beat had happened with the East Coast and West Coast, we really, you know, above the line of cocaine, we really didn't jump at it until we heard Tim Dog say, fuck Compton. And, and we was with Rupert's Records, even though we was from another city from Compton, we was from Pomona. So they would call above the line of cocaine their henchmen because we back then we was rowdy. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's, it's, it's good that years later that I was able to spread my wings with so many great artists out in New York. Prodigy, rest in peace, Mob D, Alchemist, DMX, even Pub Daddy, Buster Rhymes, you know, Jadakiss. And Rakim said it best, it ain't where you're from, it's where you're at. And I'm proud of where I come from because now that, you know, you grow through this industry, you understand, you know, a lot of people can hate you at your own house in your own city 
and you'll go somewhere else and they'll give you the utmost respect. So I'm proud when you look at cats like Ice-T, who's considered really the one who drew the blueprint of gangster rap by listening to those Schooly D records from the East Coast. Well, he's from the East Coast. You look at one of the most prolific rappers and people say he's one of the most greatest writers of our time was my little bro, Tupac. He's from New York. I mean, he's from the East Coast. And it's the same thing. I'm from the East Coast. So when you talk about, you know, the stuff that cocaine does, yeah, I have some of those East Coast elements already in, mixed in with the funk and mixed in with the West Side. And it's all rolled up into one, and it creates this, 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 this artist named Cocaine. So I just think the universe that I was able to come from different sides, and it really pushes, you know, the universe can use you to bring people together. Because people know, hey, man, this is West Coast legend pioneer cocaine, one of the pillars of gangster rap, as well as the architects of G-Funk, but he was born in the South Bronx. So it's a beautiful setup, how it is, man. And, it, you know, I go to New York, it's just number love, man. I go a little bit everywhere. So I'm proud that, kind of say, I was a mutt of the game. Yeah, I mean, it's just so interesting, like, because you're also, you know, as you said, you you work with so many incredible artists. And I did want to talk about Appetite for Destruction. You did bring it up. Um, and it's like, how is it been? How was it being in a room with Easy E? How was it being in a room with Dr. Dre? You know, and and actually seeing them work. I mean, they're almost at that time before the mainstream, you know, that's that's 1991. That's yeah. like before the world really kind of like embraced and who before really Dr. Dre became the big superstar Dr. Dre is right now. But like, how was it when you were there? Obviously they had huge credibility and they were huge already, but like they were almost like on the precipice of the next level um, yeah. while you were there. There were gods, man. You know what I'm saying? There were demigods, man. Like, being around those cats was so inspirational for both the law and cocaine that sometimes I can't even put words to it. You know what I mean? Back when I did a three-song demo with my cousin called 187, and at that time we were working with a contributing member of uh, NWA. His name is Larry Goodman, a.k.a. Laylaw. Uh, we took the, took the music to Jerry Heller, Easy, Dre, and all the whole camp. And when Easy heard it, which is a blessing, uh, it didn't take long for me to get signed because he felt that cocaine, uh, the name alone was controversial. And they got a kicked out of that because of the different styles. They were really feeling like, damn, when you hear your music, it's like somebody really is on cocaine. So they was loving all that stuff. And uh, just walking into the room with them at Audio Achievements, and being able to, to see those gentlemen work and then ask for guidance and direction, like, what do you think? What do you think? Dre always used to say to Code 187, what you think? And then Code 187 say, well, I think this is cool. And it was an exchange of different energies. 
You know what I mean? And Easy was was so great, man. There's a lot of misconceptions told uh, about Easy E. First of all, Easy E loved his artists. Um, he paid attention to his artists, even though he was at the height of his game. You know, he never did make you feel like two pennies. He made you feel like you were somebody, especially if you had talent. And he gave us a chance of an opportunity of a lifetime to just simply do us. Because sometimes when you get with different other elite people, they got their ideas. And, but nah, creatively, he let us do us. Dre was very impressed because he did some incredible stuff with Above the Law, DLC, all those cats, you know what I mean? And it was just like magic, man, to be able to see those guys, you know, whether they are happy and they was arguing about some type of creative idea or, and then going in the room and seeing Warren G, you know, uh, tell jokes with Jewel, uh, you know, rest in peace. Um, it was so, it was, it was, I don't know. It was just, it was just something like, just like a, a out of a fantasy movie, man. Like, and then you look at what came out of that, what spawned out of that tree. It's not only a multi-billion dollar business, but put so many people on out of that rootless tree. And it's just an honor to be there from the gate. Because Death Row is just a reflection of Ruthless Records. It wouldn't be no Death Row. A lot of labels, it wouldn't be no movies if it wasn't because of those gentlemen, man. So Easy had vision. He could have did anything. He could have said, nah, Dre, I don't want to do that. You and Alonzo already did, did that. Yeah, I'm cool on that. But he took a chance on it because he felt inside that, hey, man, this could be something different. This could be something innovative. And this is a chance to tell the world from our suppression what time it is. I mean, when, when you think about it, when you talk about F the police, those things that they, those guys were, were expressing in those songs are still happening to this day. So it was more prophetic Watching those guys get down, whether you like it or agree with it or not, those guys are a staple and not just hip hop, but the music culture, because it was real art form. It was something that was breaking the traditional political mold. And it was just it was just awesome, man, to be able years later to go back and say, I was not only a witness, but I was a participant. Those guys are in the Hall of Fame, man. A lot of people can't say, man, I help people put in the Hall of Fame from Ice Cube to NWA to EZE. And it's just an honor, man, to really fill in the gaps because a lot of people, what that wasn't there, you can only speculate. But we're blessed enough to be here to really fill in those gaps because people that love hip hop, especially West Coast hip hop, they really want to know. I just think it's so interesting. Like it's because it's like, there's this kind of like mythic and you said like, they were like demigods and in a way it's like an era gone. And like, I was born in 94. So I was born before this 
song even came out before the album even came out. And I look back and I'm like, I can only imagine what it was like when the albums dropped. I can only imagine what it was like. And obviously I was born in Australia, not in the US. So right. I can only imagine what like the feeling is like in LA when the albums dropped, when the political landscape is what it is. And there's just so much like there's this tension and it's right. like this, this kind of thing. And so when you talk about it and I can see it like in your eyes and the, the look on your face and, and the smile, and it's like, those are the things that make hip hop so fantastic to me is like, just as a young man who looks back and I didn't even get into hip hop until the two thousands, because obviously it takes some time to even understand what you're listening to. So it's like so far back for what I listened to, but it's just amazing to hear you talk about it. Yeah. You just got to realize man, at a height to when you had Daryl Gates, who was like the police uh, commissioner, um, and we were just, you know, this was a, like a precursor before the 92 riots, you know, with Rodney King. I mean, the shit hit the fan, man. And NWA, man, was right on time when he you know, came out with Niggas for Life. Um, just there was wheels right on time. But then at the same time, you know, we didn't anticipate, you know, what goes up and relationships would come down because above the law and cocaine, we stayed with Easy E, but unfortunately, you know, Dre was setting up on leaving through whatever discrepancies him and Eric have. And Eric tried, Easy E tried to 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 make amends with Dr. Dre and asking him, "What well, what's the problem? Let's work it out." But you know, different other poisons and different other things that legitimately he was set on. He left the label. You know, and it was crazy because, you know, I went Ice Cube, did no Vaseline and all that shit. And they came back and did the, all that, you know, on the niggas flying, well, fuck you with a broomstick. You know, Easy and Dre used to have creative differences and arguments a lot about what goes here and what goes there. And Dre felt that, you know, as far as the paperwork with Jerry Heller, it wasn't correct. And this da 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 da. I'm not going to get all into that, but Easy was trying to work it out. And um, we were going to exit out of Rupert's Records because of certain discrepancies that we didn't agree with. And that's just what it was. But Easy rekindled, we rekindled our business relationship after 91, you know, a little bit after the NWA album came out because the shit was still hitting the fan. Even months after the NWA Nicks for Life was out, all this shit was going on. You know, should uh, the discrepancies, we were at, we were like the sacrificial lambs because we we're all family at the end of the day. But Dre went and did his thing and he put Hutch in uh, a Co-187 in Dre's spot. And we were still continuing to do some incredible stuff. He, he got with Rhythm D. He found a new group uh, from Cleveland, which was Bone Thugs and Harmony. We were able to come up with uh, Dr. Dre 187 Killer at that time because it was it was funking going on between 
Death Row and Ruthless Records. And all this was going on throughout the years, man. It's just surreal, like you said. But I'm glad we rekindled our business relationship and stayed loyal to Eric until the day he transcended, man, because I look years back and you look at those song, incredible songs like Any Last Words, uh, Neighborhood Sniper, um, just the stuff we did, uh, Uncle Sam's Curse, Uncle Pointer Rhyme. That was 1994. And once Eric passed, uh, it was just it just put us at, at at a dark place because all the assets got frozen and this and that and boom 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 and it just you know we went out our own separate ways after the roof after Easy E died I felt uh, it was time for me to move on so I moved on and you know just just kept it moving man but to be able to look back man. And just see all the incredible history. We been in London in 1989, have to run our life off, man, to go down the street because it was like over a hundred people just trying to get at us. It was like some Beatles shit, man. It was crazy. Do you mind if I ask what the creative differences were? Like what were the what were the challenges they had like creatively? Well, Dre, Dre is a master at what he do. And sometimes Easy don't like that. So Easy would come in and be like, no, we're not going to use that. And Dre would be like, man, but the shit sounds sonically good right here. Nah, I don't like it. Like, you need to put like that. And we'll, we'll, because Easy, he, not, he might not have been talented as far as Dre. And he'll tell you himself, I'm not a rapper. He just had a voice. You know what I mean? But Easy would have the last say so because that was his company, you know, and Dre wanted some creative freedom and he wanted to do the same thing easy to eat. But it was only one boss of Rupert's Records and that was Eric Wright. And we loved that was our boss. You know what I mean? But Dre went out and did, did some big things, man. He went out, you know, with Suge because Suge at that time in 89 and 88, uh, and uh, 90, you know, he was bodyguarding for DOC and above the law. And he was also my, you know, slightly my manager in 1990. So this was before the death row explosion. And Code 187 from above the law in 1989, he took me in because I went to go stay with him. And he introduced me into a cat named Warren Griffith which name is Warren G. So Warren G stayed with Code 187 at a time to when Dr. Dre and Miss Elaine, they really didn't want nobody staying at their house. But Hutch took Warren G in and all the elements that you hear now, like Warren G, he really got it from our camp. And he used to tell us, man, I'm going to introduce you to this cat named Slim, man, he's dope. And I'm waiting for my homeboy, Nathaniel, to get out the uh, orange service. So in 1990, a year came, Warren G, knowing how we get down with this G-Funk and everything else, he took Slim, which is Snoop Dogg, to audition for Above the Law because we had Living Like Hustlers out. 
And we also met his homeboy that came out of the armed service, which was Nate Dog. So they auditioned in, on La Cienega and Centinella and Eaglewood, California, California. Ironically, the studio that Snoop has now, Compound, you can, it's in walking distance from when he auditioned in 1990. So when he auditioned, we were going to, Hutch was going to put him on. Uh, Code 187 was going to put him on, but at that time, he was not a rootless recording artist. He wasn't signed. So Hutch was like, yeah, Warren, this is the guy you was talking about in 89. We're going to do this? Yeah, boo, 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 boo. So Hutch was sitting on putting out Snoop Dogg and Nate first, and Sugar used to come around a lot. And what had happened is, at that when I was telling you, when Dre... And easy kind of fell out. We were in the middle. So imagine that when months go by, they're auditioning. And then that happens at the same time, you know, so many months later. And of course, when the album came out in 91, because we met Snoop and them towards the end, towards the end of 90. You know what I mean? Going into 91. So all this stuff was transpiring and draining them, getting and then we rekindled our business relationship with Easy E. Dre didn't come to the meetings because Suge was set out on creating something new, which was Death Row Records. And the first people he wanted on Death Row Records because he knew it was some discrepancies at Rupert's Records was above the law and cocaine. It wasn't Snoop. It wasn't Dog Pound then. But we rekindled the business relationship that Easy set the meeting up for, but Dr. Dre didn't go. He went over with Suge, did his thing. And at the same time, months went past from the audition that they did at the end of 90 for Code 187. And then Dr. Dre gives Hutch a call because those guys are brothers and said, man, I got this kid over here, man. I know you were working with him and was going to sign him. But man, what you feel, man, Warren G brought this tape over here and I, I don't want to step on your shoes, Code 187, but I like this kid and I want to work with him. What do you think I should do? Hutch was like, he actually gave, not permission, but vouched for Snoop to Dre and told Dre, yeah, I'm working on cocaine stuff right now, but yeah, go ahead and work on this stuff. Hutch did that. Dr. Dre called Hutch in regards to Snoop when Warren G took the tape up to one of his parties. So our style of music is called G-Funk. You know what I mean? And once Hutch gave the permission, um, months go by, 91 comes, the NWA movie, but in the middle, the fallout happened and we don't talk to nobody. And all we know is that we were getting dissed now. It was a song called Blunts and Tangeray. I was like, who's this kid named Corrupt? Who's this kid named Daz? They were called the Dog Pound Dead. And they were saying our language. You got to realize, balling, chronic, G-Funk, them are our words. So Easy was like, man, they trying to discredit all our stuff, take some of our style. So we finna go after these cats, man. They dissing us. And it was an all-out war between Rufus Records and Death Row. It was, wasn't no punk. It was some gangster shit going around. 
And I look at it, man, with all that stuff that happened, you know, and then years later for me to squash the funk with Snoop Dogg born in 1990 and Drake said, man, I need you. I always liked you. I need you to get on this, this, this song right here. I got Nate Dogg on this. But I want to I want to put his vocals on something else and put your vocals on this song because I'm doing another chronic. And I'm going to call it chronic 2001, but I want to put you on a song called L.A. Niggas. So it gave me a chance to link back in with Dre. So I did in L.A. We did that stuff. And then at a time to when Snoop was about to leave No Limit. He sent a message to a mutual friend named Havden and said, man, I want to squash the punk with, with, with cocaine, man, because you know what I'm saying? He was like, I was a fan before I was even put on. You know what I mean? And we squashed the punk, and that's when he came out with the doghouse because he already had doggy style before, but he came out with doghouse because he knew the sound that would help him. He adopted the sound. My sound comes from the above the law sound, which is the original G-Funk. And not only influenced them, but it influenced Dre and influenced all these cats. So in 1999, I went and did my thing um, on the Chronic 2001. And then I, you know, was headed over here with Snoop, who was starting Doghouse Records. After about to leave No Limit, Masterpiece No Limit. And Snoop Dogg really utilized the sound from cocaine because you got to think about it, the East Siders, Doggy's Angels. And not only that, he put me on like eight to nine songs on the last meal because he felt your sound and what I do can really usher in something that's different. And lo and behold, man, it was it was it was not only innovative, but it was mostly influential. Because when you hear that period from 1999 to 2005, you know what I mean? Cocaine was a major part of helping the sound. And I look back and I'll be like, wow, man, I am so thankful that I was a part of those powerful bullet points in history, not only as a witness, but as a participant, man. So I know it's a lot of information and I'm trying to carefully paint the picture so you understand. But the, the history is so rich with the cocaine brand that you would think this is like a fantasy movie. Being able to come from the Motown era, from my pops, because he's one of the coldest music arranger writers ever lived, man. You heard songs like Just My Imagination, Papa Was a Rolling Stone, from Motown, The Supremes. Being able to be at, at the gate of what we used to call reality rap, but the media turned around and said, no, these dudes with their pants down, so they gangster. We want to call it gangster rap. And also G-Funk and something that I did not put into the equation in 1990, a good buddy of mine, you know, he's my little bro, Tupac. Tupac was always around us. He was, we were very influential, influential on Tupac. And to see him, you know, easy die. And then next year, Tupac died after I got on his nation because after Rupert's record, I joined forces with Pac because Pac is the actual one 
1992 on Black Mafia Life said, I'm from the G-Funk, but you can call it what you want way before anybody heard G-Funk. So that was our peoples. So I was, you know, to have Easy Pass next year, riding with uh, Tupac and had them pass. It's just crazy because they're not here not no more, man. When you when you talk about the greats, they're not here. But in a sense, because I was a witness and participant, man, people, fans from all over the world, man, they can really hear some, some stuff from cocaine that's really going to inspire them because I was there. Well, it's like, for me, it's like, you know, I only have the image and what I can learn about it. Whereas you have these relationships with these people, like, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're legends in hip hop, but to you, they're more than legends. They're people. And you know, like, I'm sure you saw them laugh, saw them smile, you know, crack jokes with them. Like there's, there's something about that to me that is so amazing that it's like, it's not like we just look back. Like I look at people like Biggie as well. And I'm like, I wonder what it would have been like to have a conversation with him let alone to listen to his music, but actually talking to these people and like get to know them as individuals, as opposed to just like, you know, a demigod in a way. We didn't, we didn't know that all this stuff was going to be astronomical. We were just working. Um, we were having fun. Um, I used to come in the studio with a bungalow and Pac would come around. And I would always have songs about life and death. Like on my first album came out in 1991. It was called Who Am I? Because they was scared to say cocaine. So they turned around and said, Who Am I? Um, I had songs like, sometimes I feel like my day is coming, which was Tupac Fury, one of his favorite songs. When you look at the Above the Law stuff, we were talking about life and death and different corruptions and different other stuff. And you gotta realize, Tupac comes from a lineage of that suppression, you know, and uh, a revolutionary type of movement. So he identified where he came from with what we're doing above the law and cocaine. And I and I guarantee you, some of that stuff. He told the last time I seen Pac, he was like, "Man, we we're talking about." It, he was like, "Above the law and cocaine in particular has so much influence on Tupac. A lot of people don't know because we were going there." And then when you notice, he has songs, I, you know, I come around and different other stuff. He start articulating some of that inspiration in his own music. But a puzzle piece of his inspiration was from Above the Law and Cocaine. It's a true story. So to be able to see him and to be able to see N.W.A. and all this old stuff and how it just became a phenomenon worldwide. It's just the, you couldn't tell me 30 years that we would be here and it and it would became so much of a global sensation. I've been like, you're crazy. But now you're looking back, man, it, it became a global sensation. Man. I'm like, it was a voice for the people. You know, and that's what those cats did in hip hop. They spoke for people that couldn't speak for themselves. They allowed the world to see what the hell was going on. And that's powerful. And as you said, the same things are still happening right now. 
this podcast, I remember when I started it, I did it with two friends and we would review hip hop albums. And, you know, the, the thing that we noticed the most was that no matter how far back you go in hip hop history, the mm-hmm. same things are still happening today. And yeah. so they're still relevant. And so it's like, you know, the more you listen, the more you study it and the more you become obsessed with it, the more you realize that the effect of hip hop is beyond the music. It is really a social commentary on what's happening. And I think sometimes the the challenge for some people getting into hip hop is like, you got to look past the, the, the glamour of it. And you got to actually focus on what's being said and how it's being said, because there's, it's just real raw. It's saying exactly what it is and, and what people were going through. Um, and, and I think that's what, what really carries through over time is like, there's this authenticity about it. And I think music with that's authentic at the end of the day lasts over a period of time. It's the music that just feels manufactured that feels like it's pushing something else that won't really last. I think that's why hip hop has done so well over a long period of time. It continues to evolve. Right. Well, it's substance. It's substance music. It's something that you can speak, but it's tangible, so to speak. And it's just like, when you talk about hip hop, you don't have plenty of people say, oh, that's going to be over in 10 years. And then 10 years pass. And then another 10 years, that's going to be over. No, hip hop here is to stay, to, to stay because out of all music, hip hop is the true voice to the people that are in the streets, to the people, to the have nots, to the ghettos. Remember, ghettos is just not in the USA. The actual word ghetto started in Germany. Do you understand? There's people, I don't care what color you are, what walk of life you come from, hip hop gave them that voice, so to speak. You know, and it's still today is giving people voices all over the world, man. You go to Australia, you go to Sydney, Melbourne, you go to London, you go to Japan, you go to South, you know, basically everywhere, Africa, Canada, hip hop was was destined to stay because number one, it's the only music, the true music that's the voice of the people outside of the different blues and R&B, that's also the voice of the people. But at a higher vibration, hip-hop is right here. Yeah, and I think I think the, the interesting thing is, like, it's not talking down to you. Like, it's, it's talking like, it's like inviting you in. That's mm-hmm. what, what I always found is, like, you never feel like you're being talked at. It's like, welcome to the world. Let me show you what it's like. Let me, and then, and then, even though I didn't go through the experiences of ninety nine percent of the songs that I listen to, I can mm-hmm. still put myself in their shoes, and I can be like, I'm starting to get the picture. I'm starting to, you know, understand more and see analogies between their struggles and different struggles that I go through, and it's inspiring and motivating and storytelling all at the same time. Yeah, it raises your consciousness. And that's what hip hop was intended to do. You know, especially the era we we come from. We are so adamantly pushing a line of substance through our music because there's a yin and yang and light, period. One coexists with other. And, 
you know, it's getting back to that because for a time in hip hop, like in 2010 to, I would say last year, you know, people are getting tired of just the gossip. You know, music at one point between that period, it became about gossip as opposed to the authenticity of great music. Like, what are you doing? Well, I just ate a cockroach on YouTube and I went viral and my music is right here. That didn't have nothing to do with music, but I'm glad that the world is starting to wake up and uh, really get back to instrumentation and storytelling and music with substance because we come from the era where you can do uh, 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 I Get Around record by Tupac and then you can do I, Brenda's Got a Baby and they would both be popular. But since the period that I was telling you from that 2010 to barely last year, it was it, it turned into a gossip situation because it gave a lot of weirdos because of the internet to try to proclaim what they are and what they're not. You know what I mean? But now people are starting to wise up because people get a chance to go see an NWA movie or Tupac movie or so it enlightens the world like, hey, I want to be a part of that music that has some type of balance in it again. And music is starting to get back to a balance. I don't think you're supposed to say, okay, it's about saving the lung, the well foundation. I mean, you ain't got to put that. But, but when it starts to become 90% negative, to where you, you can initially put something positive in there. And if the positive is looked at something as weak, you know, it became, it became real tainted and poison. I believe music needs to have a balance, just like the movie industry. When you watch Denzel Washington, which is one of the greatest actors of our times, it's okay for him to do a Malcolm X movie and turn around and do a training day movie. That's a form of entertainment. You see the balance. But now, you know, like like I said, it's really starting to get back to the balance because there's wars uh, in the world. There's people that are suffering. This COVID virus threw us all for a loop. There's, there's, there's um, a sex slavery going on. There's more degradation and suppression going on in the streets. The governments are tripping. So it's a lot more to talk about because everybody ain't doing the tap dance. Oh, shiny diamonds. No, that's a lower vibration. But because of hip hop, it allows us to raise our consciousness again to really talk about what's going on in society, not just in the States, but worldwide, because we all share in the same suppression. That's just like you. You might have been born in 1994. But still, some of the things that you go through, you can identify and articulate that through your own experiences. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, love is love, hate is hate. And going through something is going through something. I don't care if you're in Australia or if you're in Compton. And that's what we're getting back to is to put records out that's going to make the people have fun, you know, uh, make you think. That's just like I put out a record, man. 
And people was like, I never did what put y'all two together. I just put out a record with Cool Rock Ski from the iconic group, The Bad Boys. Well, what are the bad boys? They're one of the pillars, all-time pillar uh, uh, groups and pillars of the worldwide hip-hop community. You had groups like Houdini, Run DMC, uh, Beastie Boys, like in the 80s. And you can't forget about Cool Rock Ski because him is the reason why you got your cubes and your LLA, LL Cool J's and, and, and other people that were able to make pivots from hip-hop into the movie industry. So I just put a record out with him called Hush, the last remaining member of the legendary group, the Bad Boys. And so many young kids are coming up to me now because they get it now. They have a chance to dig in the crates and they're digging in the crates as being on the internet now. And it's just a beautiful thing to be able to say, man, cocaine, West Coast legend cocaine got a song with iconic, Bad boy. So that particular single was out, of course, on all digital platforms. But it go back to Rakim said it eloquently. Yeah? He said, it ain't where you from, it's where you at, man. And it's like, that's why I'm able to work with so many cats all over the world. You got to remember, my push is worldwide. is because they not only identify with the sound, but they identify mostly with the struggle. You know, when you talk about it, it's weird because I think in a weird way, it's like the youth of hip hop has always been what's next. Let's push the next boundaries. And in a way, the most recent era has been, all right, I can see the history of hip hop doing one thing. Let me try to do something else and move away from, you know, meaningful hip hop necessarily. So they're, they're like evolving the sound as opposed to like the message. And I think you're definitely right. The, the message has come back. I mean, you've got legends who came back and showed that you can still do it. Buster Rhymes came back and dropped an album last year who showed that you can still create a modern sound and still deliver a message. We had Nas do the same thing. We had Kanye drop an album. Hey, Cole, had- Kendrick. Look at Kendrick. Kendrick is basically, he's trendsetting. He's showing like, hey, let's get back to the artistry as opposed to the gossip. You know what I mean? Let's get back to the art. That's why, and it's good because, you know, he's younger than us. He's like the Kobe Bryant's of our time. You know what I mean? The J. Cole's, you know, and that's the, there's enough elbow room in hip hop for popular substance music, for music that is, that is substance, to be very much as popular as, you know, girls showing their titties or talking about their pussy or some shit. You know what I mean? Nobody don't want to hear that all day, man. I want to, you know, when I come home, you know, people say, what you listen to? And they think I'm listening to rap all day. No, I'm not, man. I'm listening to some Anita Baker, some jazz, some Herbie Hancock. You know what I'm saying? Even a little Led Zeppelin, a little Black Zeppelin. You know what I mean? Because I need music that's going to feel good to my soul and spirit. And music that feels good to your soul and spirit, guess what? It lasts forever. Music that is it's not really raising the consciousness, you know, 
it, it, it'll talk about it for a little bit, but it'll play out like disco did in the seventies. Period. Well, something that I've really started to like, I've I've liked for a while, is like going and finding samples that were used in hip hop tracks just to see where the original song is, and it's so cool to see, you know, the the original song and the snippet that they took, but also the artistry of the original song that was taken like, and they're sampling songs from the sixties, like jazz songs in the sixties and soul. And like the, the ability of, you know, the beat makers and the producers to put together a track, but also it helps you realize that they're not, they're not only listening to hip hop. They're listening to a wide range of things because they're broadening the mind and they're, exploring all these different sounds and how it fits within the lens of hip hop. So that's something that like for me is like, Oh, I'm going to nerd out on this shit and I'm going to go and I'm going to go listen to, to what they did and how they chopped it up and what they, and, and then sometimes the original version is better because yeah. it's just got a different feeling to it. So I'm, that's the era we come from, uh, not to cut you off. That's the era we come from where, we used to love reading, who did this? Who did this? You know, that's why we still sell hard copies, even though they're a collector's item, is because you can't sign an autograph on, on a digital copy. You know, it was important. And when we walked in the store, we used to buy records off just the art and cover alone. You know, we used to love the analog sound, going in there with the two-inch tape. It became music at one point became so artificial in simulation A1s that it took the human side away from it. Now we're getting back to the human side because a computer or digital can't replace, you know, a live instrument or somebody digging in the crates or actually seeing something tangible on a record and say, wow, that person was in the studio, Cameo was in the studio with that person or that person wrote this. It's nothing like it. You know what I mean? So all those things are being brought back because you, you can't replace certain things, man. It's, you know, it's here forever. You know what I mean? You can try to dress it up, but even then you'd be like, I don't want that dressed up version. I want the original version. And that's what the beauty about, um, I would say, what era we come from, you know, when there was no internet. there You had to get out there and snipe up posters and shit. You had to go meet record pools. You actually had to go travel. So I think it, 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 it got people, not all, a little bit more late in the comfort zone, as opposed to getting out there and, and getting in the streets or talking to people, public relations, shaking hands, you know, it became too AI, but now it's getting back, you know, because things must replenish itself. Like earth is replenishing itself. It needs to get back even more. And I'm just glad it's at a season to where people are really starting to wake up because that's unrealistic, man, too. And music is the most powerful form of influence, period. There is another other force of influence, but through music. And people are now raising their consciousness and talking about different things because the corporates, they like to have a bunch of repetitive shit to where it doesn't really 
interjects the positive side as opposed to making money off the negative side because their pockets are being filled. You know what I mean? So they took a form of hip hop and that happens with that. Once corporates come in, they taint what was real. But now it has to get back to the streets because the arrogance of the corporates and different other people like that hit a backfire on them because at the end of the day, the people will always rise. Well, I think, you know, we're, we're seeing the, the artists as well, the, the era of artists and labels and they're making their own labels more and more. They're going, you know, why don't I just look after what I, what I want in my music as opposed to give over control. And I think as well with the younger era of, you know, the, the internet, we're seeing a lot of kids get introduced to modern hip hop, but then the natural curiosity of what hip hop does to you forces them to go and look back through the crates and through the years. And so they're going, Oh, this is where all of this came from. And I know my brother, my, my youngest brother, he's five years younger than me. He recently listened to slick Rick and he's like, this slick Rick album is really, really good. And it's yeah. like, and Slick Rick is referenced in so many songs and referenced by so many artists as one of the inspirations, one of the people who taught them how to create a story in a song. And it's just cool to me that like now I'm seeing them do it in the other way. They're going modern and then back to old school hip hop, back to the original, back to the 90s and appreciating the journey of where it came from, but also the the evolution of the music. Right. Absolutely, man. You know, it, it, it all comes back around. And it's just coming back around because, you know, we were able to give voice to the people that the media might not have gave voice to. We, we given voice to the people that are in jail or, or has been falsely accused of something. And that's, that's, I think that's the biggest responsibility is that once you have a masses of people, it is very important to go ahead and use inspiration for their elevation, because that's what we're here to do. You know, you got people that spend their hard on money on coming to your concerts, uh, buying your product, the least thing you want to do is leave an impression of inspiration on them because we were inspired, man. You know what I mean? We were, we were heavily inspired by who our peoples was and the different other journeys. And that's why we're so much like we are today talking about Hutch, my cousin Hutch and myself, because we actually go around and talk to kids and just upcoming artists all over the world because that's very important. You never know who you're influencing. They could become the next president or the next big this and help inspire some other kids who never had the opportunity to get out the ghetto to really go back and buy their mom's houses and different other stuff like that or get their peoples in a better position. Well, hip hop does that, you know? And I'm just thankful coming from our side on the West side that we were able to be a part of that influence because if you see 
You got people low riding in Australia. You got people low riding Japan, New York. Well, that West Coast shows, I mean, not only on the West Coast, but hip hop shows how very influential it could be. Well, it inspires me, honestly. Like it, it continues to inspire me. I've always said, I, I can't rap. I am not an artist, but I'm a fan of the music. And it continues to inspire and motivate and be like, you know, don't get down yourself. Like the message in there is so powerful. But I, I am aware of obviously taking up a lot of your time. We'll have to do this again because um, I feel like I could just talk to you about your journey in hip hop and the era of hip hop that you're from for, for literally hours. But um, I do have one more question for you. It's probably going to be the toughest question, especially considering the era you're from. But if you had to recommend one album that everybody should listen to at least once to get an appreciation of, cannot be your own, um, can be any genre of music, what would it be? Marvin Gaye, here's my dear, here my dear. Go listen to that. It's an incredible project by Marvin Gaye. What did it do for you? Oh man, it's inspiration. The music, sonically, analog. Marvin Gaye was incredible, man. Incredible. But there's, like you said, you can only pick one. Um, but I would say Marvin Gaye. You know, I think it's it's always interesting to hear what songs, what what albums people pick because there's no right answer, there's no wrong answer. And at the end of the day, when I finish this podcast at some point in like 20, 30 years, I'll have curated, you know, so many album recommendations that it's like you're guaranteed to find absolute gold. And I know that not everyone's going to love every album, but I also know that there is so many albums that I haven't listened to, so many albums that, you know, have slipped through. And it's always cool for me to see who inspires which artists and you know, what it does and, and how it elevates them. So I appreciate you giving the recommendation. Man, no problem. And I appreciate you having me on the uh, platform. Uh, we're supposed to go out to Australia soon uh, next year. So maybe, you know, pull up, you know what I'm saying? Put one in here. Well, for sure. I, I'm also looking to move to the U.S. at some point. So right. that, that's where are you trying to move to? Um. I'm either thinking uh, LA or maybe Austin. They're the two that I'm kind of tossing up. I mean, it's hard to go past LA, let's be honest. Because LA, it's a lot of opportunity going on in LA right now. Tons of opportunity, bro. So, you know, but wherever you go, man, blessings on your journey. You know, may God uh, make everything you work hard for manifest. So, you know, it's a journey. You know, it's a marathon, not a relay race. It should be all right. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. And honestly, as I always say, my show has is nothing without artists like yourself giving me the time and, and sharing your insight and your stories. And, you know, for anyone who hasn't checked out Cocaine, check him out on Spotify. you got YouTube. You're on Instagram. Um, he also released a new single, Elevate Your Grind, as well, uh, which came out. Um, and the literally the history 
of music that Cocaine has. We talked about it all day today, but he's worked with some of the great artists in hip-hop history. So if you haven't checked him out, make sure you do and show him some love. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. And uh, if you want to reach me, uh, maybe you can share the link uh, in your description. You can go to my site at www.budeenteric.com. That's buddyboyent.com or www.buddyboymusic.com. I got the new newly released single with, with the Fat Boys, Cool Rock Ski. It's called Hush. And go pick up my daughter's new album. You spell her name W-A-N-I-S-A-H-L-O-N-G, her last name. And she has a song out called What You Want to Do. She's like daddy, like daughter. She, she sings and she raps. And um, continue to support good music. If anybody, you know, watching this part, podcast and is interested in getting a feature, well, come to the most featured artist in, in history. And I'll go ahead and lace your chucks. And it ain't where you promise, where you're at. Make sure your business is on, on, on point because I'm not a candy striper. I'm a legend. And I appreciate all the love and support. Let's continue to build. And let's continue to push this hip-hop line. Hip-hop forever. Thanks for listening to the show. Please like and subscribe. And follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip-hop hustle for upcoming podcast news. Also, don't forget to check out my Patreon under hip-hop hustle for exclusive content and to help support the show. Bye for now.